welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna-Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word security. Simply put, the freedom from fear, anxiety, or danger, which seems highly relevant to me in the media space. Security is emotional as well as physical, practical, and tactical, so I'm especially excited to have with me J. Michael Skiba to discuss the topic. Michael is also known as Dr. Fraud, and he is one of the world's leading experts in international financial crime and cybersecurity. He holds an MBA as well as a PhD in criminal justice and has worked on hundreds of cases around the globe, consults to major corporations, and is the author of Psychology of Fraud. And finally, Michael is the host of Dr. Fraud TV and can speak from experience what it takes to feel secure on camera. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. It is so great to be here, and I am so excited for your podcast. First off, congratulations on that. Uh, Excited to see the other episodes and, and yeah, spend some time talking about all things fraud, not fraud, uh, the alter ego of Dr. Fraud and, and kind of how that came to be. Uh, you know, and kind of express all those things and experiences with the listeners. So yeah, super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm super excited to have you. And I'm really thrilled to talk about the issue of security because it's on everyone's mind a little bit probably every day. And right there, bold and beautiful on your homepage, it says, let me help you be safe. So here we are. I want you to explain to me how you're going to help me be safe and by extension, anyone listening to the podcast. So to begin with, what does that mean to you? You know, being safe, it's it's kind of, you know, it, it's an emotional state as well, right? Because right now, I mean, we are just bombarded with technology. I mean, scams are coming from all angles, right? I mean, you go shopping, you could get scammed. You, you could be doing business online and getting scammed. I mean, it, it's literally everywhere. And I think, you know, that's where kind of the doctor fraud kind of came to be is because I, I enjoy helping keep people safe. And I've seen so many businesses that, that, you know, have been threatened in many different ways. And I think it's so important to just take that emotion, uh, you know, and, and kind of help people, you know, find, plug those gaps, if you will, find the vulnerabilities that they might not know because small businesses are, they're so vulnerable. Um, you know, the studies show that they're being targeted more right now than, than any other segment. I think upwards of 424% just last year. So, I mean, it's it's just such a problem, but it's really an emotional state where, I mean, think about it, Barbara, you know, we all have things to worry about with our businesses, right? So many things to focus on, creative content building, but, you know, I mean, this is something that businesses shouldn't have to worry about. You know, don't take that those calories away. We don't want to burn calories on fraud and scams and things like this. Well, I want to clarify right there. So for anyone listening if you're a solopreneur or an individual content creator or someone working in the gig economy and you have a website and a social media presence, I want to encourage you to consider yourself a small business because it's both a mindset and a practical consideration. So all of us doing that, can you clarify exactly what we're afraid of? Because there's this sort of nebulous sense that like I could get hacked. Or we see that all the time. Sony got hacked. My son has a PlayStation. And I was like, what does that mean for us? What does it mean when someone has your information? If you're a small business and you get hacked, what am I actually supposed to be worried about? What what does that mean? You know, and this is where 
small businesses are vulnerable because I mean, we don't have, you know, I mean, being a solo entrepreneur myself, I mean, if I have an IT issue, I go to another part of my office, tap myself on the shoulder and ask a question. I mean, it's just me, just like many of us out there. So, I mean, you know, we don't have budgets, we don't have IT departments. And I think it can, can, it can get so complex because as you stated, you know, we see these big companies, you know, getting, getting penetrated. Uh, but small businesses, in my opinion, are more at risk for that simple reason, because, you know, we don't have IT security departments. We don't have budgets. So I think what's so important for, for small businesses, solo entrepreneurs, media entertainment professionals is to, you know, focus on the human element, what I call for prevention and the technology element. And I think, you know, right now, the biggest threat, in my opinion, that I'm seeing has to do with imposter scams. You know, the FTC showed about, I think, $1.2 billion last year in imposter scams, basically meaning someone pretending to be someone else trying to get into your business, period. And what happens if they get into my business? Why are they there? Are they holding me for ransom, the ransomware side? Or are they stealing my private information so that they can be slowly siphoning money? I mean, what happens? Why are, why, what's the upside of targeting me? Yes. And, and that's that's exactly what they're looking to do. So two things. They're looking, one, to either get money from you simply outright, right? That's, that's the traditional method. Uh, but secondly, they're looking to get personal information for other purposes, you know, for identity theft reasons, where they can get loans in your name. Now, thirdly, a, a really increasing threat that we are seeing is what we call data leakage. And I mean, this is really important for those in the, in the entertainment, the media space, because, you know, we have our own content, we have our own things that, you know, is, is kind of proprietary to ourselves. And I mean, these entities, these scammers can be operating behind the scenes. You know, we would not even know that they're there, you know, and they're just grabbing information. They could be selling it on the market. They could be, you know, doing many other dangerous, dangerous things to it. But What's disturbing, Barbara, we know this, is that about half of the businesses, more than half, 62% of small businesses that get targeted go bankrupt within five years. So, you know, you can you can take care of the threat up front, but it's those after effects, those things that are out there that we just, you know, we don't see. And that's really what's dangerous. It's kind of like Jaws, right? We couldn't see the threat and it was even more scary because it's like it was just lurking there waiting for us. Simple as that. Well, let's get specific. So one of the things in our conversations that you've taught me is the understanding of having a threat assessment. What was that? What's the actual, oh, my vulnerability assessment, how vulnerable or how much risk. I'm, so how do I do that? Like, what is, what does your average person do? Yeah. And I mean, this is where you, you, you self-reflect, you know, so you, you look at your business and when I say business, you know, uh, again, as a media entertainment professional, you know, we, you, part of your business uh, would, you know, could be the content that you're putting out. It could be, you know, even auditions you're going on and information you're putting on those websites for your profile, you know, so other groups contact you. So anything within what I call like the ecosystem of your business is, is where you could be vulnerable. So, you know, on a large scale corporate level, we look at everything from sales. Let's say it's an insurance company, right? Sales all the way down to a claim, right? But when we look at the small businesses, we have to look at that specific business. Where do you engage with other people? What do you do? Like, you know, where I often start, Barbara, is how do you, how do you run your day? You know, think of a typical day 
and where you could be vulnerable. That's your ecosystem. Here's a question. Looking at apps and certain things I've downloaded to help my business that were recommended by others. And then I was like, this is in a country that I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, they're based in Montenegro or something and it's an SEO company. (laughs) I was like, I think I'm going to cancel this, but maybe Mm -hmm. they already have my information. So my one question is like, how do you know who to trust? Mm -hmm. You know, and this is what's interesting is because what we have to do is we have to focus on, you know, right, because we see opportunities coming up and, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Superman has the kryptonite, I call it. So every single business, every industry has a weakness, right? And, And to us, it might be, like you mentioned, you know, uh, getting uh, getting you know new media pitches, getting an audition or something that could be a kryptonite. So, this is where the imposters really, really key in on a business, right? I'll give you a perfect example. So, I have a trademark on Doctor Fraud, right? Because I realized I started operating in the media space. I said, "Wow, I need to really protect this brand." And a lot of us, you know, working in that space, need to protect what they have, right? The second, so contact an attorney went through the whole nine yards, right? Two days later, I'm at my PO box and I get a letter. It was a beautiful letter from the United States Patent Office saying that I needed to pay $1,200 and I needed to wire the money, et cetera, et cetera. Barbara, this looked so official. Dr. Fraud almost got duped by this, okay? And that can't happen because that'll probably make front headlines, right? (laughs) Dr. Fraud gets scammed. But this was a scam. So, what, what I recommend is what I call the, hu- the human prevention, a hop out. That's when I get something like that, I hop out. I stop. I stop my emotions because immediately I'm thinking, oh, my God, got to protect my brand. Someone's going to hop on it. Someone's going to get a media gig tomorrow with Dr. Fraud and I'm done, right? My whole brand is, is a wash. I have to think of something else. But what I did was I hopped out, thought for a minute, does this make sense? Two days later, called my attorney, right? Sent it to him. He looked at it. He said, absolutely not. You know, it's fake. I've received four more. Since then, in the la- in, in two, the two weeks following. So that was the kryptonite for me. Scammers know that. So for you, it could be, uh, you know, maybe business development or something. It could be, you know, where you they might try to, you know, imposter you, you know, and, and pretend that they're with uh, another media company or a big network outlet or something like that. That's your kryptonite. So finding that kryptonite is key for a business. But really, you start your day. Like, how do you go? Through your day you know what do you do and where could that vulnerability be so if i'm hearing you too it's stop check in with yourself so if, if you feel triggered but it's also getting the habit of asking questions right regardless if it looks official if some if anybody's asking for money correct contact them and, and ask are you really asking me for money okay right. step one and another, I mean, another step, there are clues. When we look at almost every single scam, we've done studies on this, every scam from corporate level down to small business level, what we know, they have the same fraud DNA, okay? So it's the same mm. the same psychological power of persuasion that existed way back in the first scams on record, <laughs> you know, the 1800s, 1700s, medieval days, whatever they were. Right. But that's what they they have those same. They have the sense of urgency, the social pressure, you know, all those things that and it's evident in that in that letter that I mentioned. It tried to key in on me. And Barbara, you know what happens? I mean, immediately you're not objective. You know, you're you're being subjective. Your emotions are making your decision. You're you're operating on 10 percent of your cognitive level and you're going to make a bad decision. Right. I'm going to pay the money. I want this off my chest. They prey into your fear. So, so this is what, you know, again, 
consumers, small businesses really need to key in on is leave the emotion at the door. Think objectively, take a deep breath. You know, nothing's urgent. There's no countdown clock. It's not like QVC where you have to act now and uh, respond within a certain period of time. You know, take a deep breath and just assess the situation objectively. So what can everybody do to minimize the risk? You know, this is what I recommend for fraud prevention at every level. I call it a two-pronged approach, right? It's the human aspect of it and the tech aspect of it, right? And and bringing those two things together will absolutely send the the fraudsters elsewhere. And that's what that's really the key, Barbara. This is what we want to do. You know, we want to send them somewhere else. It's kind of like uh, you know, I, I dabbled in muscle cars, always have, love them. So one of the things, if you remember, do you remember the club, the, the thing you'd put on the steering wheel where you'd like lock it? it? It was like this long unit. Do you remember this? The club. Yes, I mean, and they just, they arrived on a Wednesday and left on Thursday. It's like, whatever <laughs> happened to the club? Correct. But, but they thwarted efforts during that time because all they did, I mean, really the designer of the product realized you know what? It really can't prevent a theft. It was all psychological. What it did was, you know, a, a, a potential auto thief would walk by in the window. He'd say, oh, I do have a hacksaw, but do I really want to spend 10 minutes on this? Let me look at the next car. What is the next? The next car doesn't have a club. Hey, guess what, guys? Come on over here. Let's try to steal this car because it's easier. And that's really, it's the same approach in fraud prevention. You just want to make it a little more difficult. They're not going to go away. But studies, my research shows, send them elsewhere. So that two-pronged approach, the human approach and the technology approach. So using, you know, training and, you know, training your employees, um, all the way to the tech approaches, right? Utilizing software, internal, external, iPads, iPhones, password protection, multi-factor authentication, credit cards, all those things really, really help send them elsewhere. You know, send, send the auto theft, let them find another car without a club, <laughs> basically. Would you be on TikTok? Okay, so fun fact, um, I, I do have a couple cameos on TikTok. Okay, I don't know if they can be found. I might have taken them down. But during the pandemic, my my daughters were home, right? And TikTok was huge. Year. I mean, still is big, but it was just blowing up then. You know, everyone was looking for extra things to do. So my daughters asked me to be on. Um, so I have two cameos on TikToks, which I think did pretty well. Okay, I'm not going to claim that they did well because I was in them because my daughters have the skills, dance skills. But uh, nonetheless, I did go on. But here's what's interesting about TikTok. We have done many studies. And, you know, platforms like TikTok and even like YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live, all of those, you know, we need, you know, as, as media, entertainment professionals, and even small businesses, we need to be on these, right? We need to get our get our brands out, get our marketing material out. But what's dangerous, Barbara, is what's in the background. So we've done studies on this and what we can actually find in people's backgrounds. You know, I did one with a small business where they challenged me. And, and within about two weeks, I had enough information to be dangerous, all based on what I found on their social media sites, including they had dabbled in TikTok a little bit. So, I mean, these are just, this is real-time intelligence that scammers can get. Absolutely. Well, let's get a little bit more specific. So what you're talking about is the family does the really cute choreographed dance video. And by the way, I'm only picking on TikTok because it's a Chinese platform. And there's all this data, which you can quote better than I, about anticipate that 86% of us have all our personal information sitting somewhere in China. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just, cause like, okay. So what happens in my cute family choreographed dance video is I left a computer monitor open. I left something on a post-it on my refrigerator. I have, I might have a bill hanging out somewhere. It's funny too, Michael, cause you know, I teach people to care about the optics and what's in the shot, but I'm always talking about like, I don't want to see your dirty laundry. I don't want to see like <laughs> leftover food or the inside of your bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I was flabbergasted when he told me this. Mm -hmm. That even like degrees on a wall or other personal information about relatives so that because sometimes those are used as security check questions. Yes, this is it. Barbara, it is so disturbing. And the reason why TikTok, I think there, there's two reasons that really drive TikTok really drive the scammers to TikTok. And the thing is, looking behind the scenes, Barbara, they have algorithms, all right? They, they don't, you know, they don't sit there and manually check these. They have algorithms that, that actually scan the images and they'll find these things and then send them to, you know, they're run like corporations. They send them to someone that looks and says, wow, look at what we can do with this one. And they'll rate the TikTok as far as the scam. Yeah, hey, you know, we can use this because it has this and this. So, but with the TikToks, there's two things. One, is that there? It's not really a stable uh, background. You know, usually, usually you see, you know, the camera's moving around a little bit. You know, it's it's kind of you know scanning different parts of the room, um, and that you know again, that's just subset. You know, you're making yourself more vulnerable because you can look in those backgrounds. Secondly, a lot of it is driven by the younger population. Now, their their degree of privacy is different than ours. You know, because they were brought up on technology. They were brought up on putting things out there in the world. So they don't have, our studies show that, they don't have that same sense of privacy and security that, that normally maybe the older generation would. So, so, you know, the fact that, you know, something's in their background doesn't matter as much to them as it would, let's say, to us. But college degrees, perfect example, right? We see these all over Zoom even. I mean, think about it. I know immediately your full name. I can probably estimate, I mean, based on the year you graduated, if it's a master's, okay, or a bachelor's or an associate's or PhD, whatever it is, school you went to. Uh, I mean, these these things are going to be really key on helping me find, you know, it's, it's a puzzle. You know, so that's going to give me three or four pieces of a puzzle. I maybe need 20 to get an auto loan in your name. So, I mean, it's it's just all, you know, pieces of information that they're putting together on you. What is the psychology of fraud? Because that's the name of your book. So the psychology of fraud, you know, it's it's something, Barbara, that, you know, after 25 years, I've realized, you know, when I started in academics about five years ago, I realized that there's not much there, there's not much material on, on, on scammers and the mindset of these fraudsters. And that's really what I embarked on, a journey of, hey, what is it all about? What makes them tick? Why do they focus on certain people and, and not on other people? And that's really the whole concept of the psychology of fraud is, you know, and it's really... It's focused on on the mindset of the fraudster, but but secondly, the book really focuses on on more prevention. You know, like what as a you know how can you mm -hmm. not be a victim? You know, how can a small business, how can a consumer, a solopreneur, not be a victim and and make themselves the subject of the fraudsters and the scammers? You know, make it more difficult. What can they do? You know, what what's in their mindset? And that's what's interesting because, fun fact. They are absolutely more cognitive than other types of criminals. So you have to have your guard up. You have to, you know, send them elsewhere. They can make those rational decisions, you know, between right and wrong. 
So therefore, the fact that if you do, you know, put that club out, they can sit there and make a rational decision and say, wow, that's way too much effort for this car, you know, and they can move, they can go somewhere else. So that's, that's really the whole concept behind it. I love that you're the mind hunter of fraud. What would be the digital, virtual, online version of the club? So the technical version would be, you know, basically looking at technology and seeing how it can can support you. Okay, so we cannot be on 100% of the time. You can't be looking for fraud and scams 10 hours a day or 12, however many hours that you work. You, you, you just can't. That's why technology is key. So what I recommend always, look at those technology platforms. I mean, some of the ones I use, like on my computer, are Endpoint Security. Uh, that's a great one uh, that I use because what it will do is it'll actually grab, you know, when I talk about imposter scams, it'll, it'll actually notify me. It'll stop those. It's like a spam alert. and say, hey, this doesn't make sense based on your algorithms. Why is this, you know, would you be emailing someone at 12 p.m., you know, on a Friday night? You know, maybe, I don't know, but but it's not within the algorithm. So, so something like that on my laptop works very well. Another thing I recommend is technology in the phones, in, in the iPad. So adjust your settings. I mean, once a week, I go in there, I spend mm. five minutes, Barbara, adjust your settings. Because this is the thing, those social media platforms, they share information with one, one another. Like Instagram, you know, they're connected. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. They default to open settings. So, I mean, what's so important, you have to go in and make sure you're restricting what information is being exchanged between those sites. And a lot of people don't realize it defaults to that openness. You know, and you have all you have to do is put restrictions. It doesn't mean you're getting less traffic. It doesn't mean you get less likes. It's just a matter of where your information is going outside of that platform. That's such a great reminder because they also change. You know, you've set them and then you go back and realize, hey, this was set to private. How could it become unprivate? I don't know how that happens exactly, but I've noticed that that does happen. So that's a great reminder to, you do it weekly? I was going to say it like every six months, but oops, <laughs> oops. Barbara, like I said, I, I can't be defrauded. I, I would, I, I. Tell this to my family. I'm like, you guys cannot get defrauded because if Dr. Fraud's family gets defrauded, it's just, it's not going to look good. That's a bad look. That's true. That's a bad look for Dr. Fraud. So, but, Correct. Um, okay. I'm putting it on my calendar. It's going to be part of my I'm going to check, Barbara. I'm going to check. <laughs> wow. That'd be great though. If you can, you know, let us know other products that you recommend. Are there, by the way, just in terms of travel and feeling mm. secure about that, because now that the world is opening up again, are there travel products that you recommend? Barbara, that I, I'm so glad you brought that up because traveling, you know, prior to the pandemic, I was road warrior international 85% of the time. Love, love, love to travel, but there are incredible security risks that come with that. And that's, I think one of the reasons why, you know, I designed a whole course based on that because what, you know, it's funny because what yeah. I started to do was just copy down little things, snippets. I was here, I was there, and I would just follow them myself and maybe send them to my family. But I realized, you know what, people were asking me. So I developed a whole course on it just on travel safety. And it focuses on a lot of different things. And, and yes, we are so vulnerable when we travel on every single level. I mean, you know, for example, products, some of the things that I always swear by is RFID wallets. Okay, so wallets, bags, and what it is, it's, it's a protection device. It, it kind of creates a, a metal shield 
uh, around your credit cards and your personal information. Uh, we've done studies on these. They're very hard to penetrate. Very cheap. You can get them on Amazon. Um, I, you know, I use a couple different brands. I've, I've, you know, like Samsonite even has some nice ones, um, and they're relatively low cost. Uh, so that that's you know the the technology end of it. But secondly, like personal protection devices, a lot, of, a lot of times you can just you know you can get on airplanes with these, but they will absolutely make you safe. I mean, I've used them. I was I was actually chased in Peru by a dog going down the street once, and I threw this alarm out, and it was just loud enough to send the dog somewhere else. So I mean, these can be used from high end frauds to to the you know aggressive dog in Peru. I mean, whatever wherever you might be, you know things like fake Wi Fi. This is huge right now, and people really need to, to, to key in on that because we need to be connected, right? And there are so many fake okay, Wi-Fi. Okay, I'm, I'm paranoid. <laughs> yeah, I won't do it. That's one of those weird things that I am – well, I talk to you, so I'm paranoid enough to be like, oh, well, you know what? Back it up. I got scammed in an airport years ago back in the day pre-cell phones when we had you know phone numbers so that we could make – long distance calls and international calls from a payphone, And I got scammed in an airport because I guess they would stand around with mirrors and, and see how you punched in the number. And so mine got stolen and then a bunch of calls to like Asia and the Middle East. It was caught really quickly, et cetera, et cetera. So that was, gosh, 20 years ago or something. That's when I realized, oh, airports are mm-hmm. hotbeds of nefarious characters. <laughs> what was the outcome of that? Did you, uh, was it a good outcome? Hopefully it was for me because it was actually okay. a corporate related. So I reported it to HR. I, w- I was not held accountable. And I think w- whichever major phone carrier that was, I mean, was there was more than one then maybe it was AT&T. I can't remember, but they, no one was held accountable. It was figured out pretty quickly that it had been stolen. Mm, that's that's definitely old school. We've seen that, but but it's Barbara. But you know what? It's the same, you know, technique. It's just a new method now, and, and it's it's very common because, you know, think about if someone's holding up their phone, right? You really don't think twice. You know, if they're just maybe it looks like they're taking a selfie or something, where it could be on reverse, and they're actually, you know, as you mentioned, like your passwords. It is so easy to actually determine just by you know the way you're swiping or your or your you know you put your number in. Um, it, it's very easy to do. Uh, so, so, so those simple, simple things are still they're still being used now. Uh, but what the scammers will do is they'll utilize multiple tricks to you know, like we talked about the way fake Wi-Fi. I mean, this is especially in airports. I mean, they I can't tell you how many people get scammed in airports because these sites. I mean, we've we've done the research on this. They look exactly like legitimate. I mean, they'll pop up if you're in Denver International Airport, and it'll show. The Denver airport and pictures, it looks fantastic. Hey, put your password in, free Wi-Fi, 24 hours, game over, right? It's an imposter site. But one of the keys to prevention there is to look at HTTPS. That's the key, the S. So if a site has an S in it, it means it's more secure than HTTP. So that usually means it's not a fake Wi-Fi site if you're doing some activity in there. Um, So just a key to prevention right off the bat. Look for that little S at the end. That's worth the price of admission. Thank you. Is it also helpful then to do your research before you go and to know what the actual legit Wi-Fi should be in that airport? Correct. 
uh, what I do is I contact my, so I have AT&T, I contact my provider, I usually get, and you can get like a VPN or a, a preferred secure network right through the provider. It's very, very reasonably cost. I mean, co- you know, compared to what a identity theft could cost you. Um, and this is what's, you know, disturbing because, you know, we see with such an increase in technology and with threats and with, you know, the fact that most businesses, small businesses that are breached, uh, you know, go bankrupt within five years because of all those breaches. I mean, it does behoove, you know, someone to put that little extra effort in, you know, to, to just, you know, look at those extra precautions. And, and right, getting something through a provider helps. Um, and a VPN, you know, a potentially exploring a VPN. That that's so, so that will, of course, filter it right through an external site first. Uh, it's going to go all through the filtering mechanisms before it even, you know, gets to you. So it's it's pretty much, it's not foolproof, of course, but it's going to cut down sign- up, you know, probably 90% uh, of the fraud that, could, that you could be susceptible to. Will you use your Wi-Fi once you're in the air or are we still at risk? Yeah, that's a, oh boy, that's a great question. I mean, right. That's the, the optimal time to get some work done, right? You got a couple hours to go. Kids kicking your seat behind you. You need to like kind of zone out somehow. So exactly. And this is what we want to do. We want to get some work done. What I usually do is I, before I get on a flight, unless it's like a really long haul flight, I will, I will, it's, you know, and again, this is where human management, Barbara, comes into play. What I do is I load up, I call it before I go. So I'll know, let's say I need to get some content out. You know, I need to make a post on LinkedIn. I need to write an article. What I'll do is I'll just get everything loaded up, cut and paste it in a Word doc. So I'm just operating on Word when I'm there. I'm doing my content in Word. And the second I touch down, I post it. All right. You know, so I think if you just manage it from a human level, you really realize, you know, do, do I really need to be on email right now? Do I really need to be engaged on social media? And again, much like many of, of your listeners out there, we're all about efficiency, right? Two hours on a plane, think of all that you could get done. But I don't know. I think it's a lot of it has to do with the human element. And again, just, you know, reducing the number of opportunities because I don't know. I mean, that Wi-Fi, I don't know where it's going. You're 30,000 feet in the air. I mean, could be going, I mean, you could be transmitting, you know, constantly as you're going. So this is a risk I personally try not to take unless, again, it's a really long haul flight and, and, you know, you just need to get some work done. I can't let you go without asking, what are some of your favorite all-time scams? Because you're like a scam historian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, Barbara, I love oh, the history of scams. I tell you, it's so cool, right? And this is one of the things that we do on, on the DFTV platform is we just pick a scam and just just pick it apart. One of my favorites. All right. I know you're from New York. We're both New Yorkers. So George Parker, 1883, right? After the Brooklyn Bridge was built. Okay. He was scammer of all scammers. You can Google him. You know, interesting character. And he he really was a con artist. Okay. And this is where kind of like, the, the term con artist went to scammer. And this is where I find it really fascinating because con artist kind of has a, not as much of a negative connotation. It's kind of like, wow, he's creative. He's like a magician. So what George Parker would do, he actually sold the Brooklyn Bridge, I think close to a dozen times right after it went public, right? He never owned it. Yeah, he never had any paperwork. He, so, he sold it upwards of a dozen I think one time it was on record, he sold it for $50,000 at the time, 1883. I, I mean, I don't know what the equivalent is now, right, Barbara? I mean, that's that's a, you know, it's astronomical. He sold the Statue of Liberty. A he lot. sold a lot of monuments, right? But w- w- what's what's interesting to me about this scam is that when you really pick it apart, it's this, if you were to ask me, okay, what's your favorite scam that happened or, you know, last week, 
it's the same DNA. He used those same tricks, sense of urgency, social pressure, power of persuasion. I mean, he he unfortunately really, you know, duped those people to come in just like we do, um, you know, and, and he used those same techniques. But but back then it wasn't really formalized. Nobody studied it. Nobody knew what he was doing. Um, but then other con artists would, would replicate it. You know, um, that's one of my favorites. I, I have to do, I mean, obviously the media space that you're in, do you remember the Fry Festival, April 2017? Do you remember this Billy McFarlane? He bought a Caribbean uh, island. Obsessed. <laughs> okay, so. Okay, Michael, we could talk for hours. I watched both <laughs> dueling documentaries. <laughs> okay. Have incredible opinions about both. This is an amazing, amazing story. Amazing. I mean, right. We, we could do a whole other podcast on it because I also I f- find it so f- – I did an episode as well. I ended up like – I was in this like a weekend of research because it, there's so many things to talk about with it from – I mean, Billy McFarlane, did he really intend this? Did he not? You know, people were – you know, weren't really – I don't want to say scammed, if you will, but they they elected to, to go to this island. Um, there was this social media aspect of it where – um, I think Kim Kardashian, right? Didn't he? Didn't he engage her to? I think he paid her two hundred thousand dollars to promote no, it, was, it. It was it was, Kend- it was Kendall or Kylie. It was Kendall oh, or Ken- Kylie before it was the one of the young, right? Kendall or Kylie Jenner. But before we get, we just back up for one sec. So anyone listening who doesn't know what this is and hasn't obsessively watched both the dueling documentaries on the topic should know this happened three years ago, four years ago. Was yep. supposed to be a super exclusive luxury getaway festival on a Caribbean island where you could go be fabulous with your fabulous card, whatever that specialty access card he was. <laughs> and so the and he got a lot of people on board with him. But it's is it Billy Bobby McFarland? Billy Billy McFarland, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. He was the mastermind. And what are your opinions about this? Oh, oh by the boy. way, for everyone to know, the kicker is that the island was a dump. There were people that live in tents, they famously had to eat cheese sandwiches, which <laughs> right. if you go to Instagram, that's worth the price of admission right there. And they're on buses and it just seems so miserable. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, Barbara, the thing with with Billy is I, I kind of looked into his his background, you know, from a psychological perspective. And what, what you see... So he was very unique in the sense that you you saw signs in Billy that you do in some of the I want to say bigger scams, you know, like like Abigail, um, like Holmes, like like you know um, even even Madoff, because he had that charismatic ability about him, which right we kind of don't understand. We're objective and we're looking back at this, saying, well, how could you be how could you be duped into this? But he had that. He just literally would suck people in into this, as he termed it, a transformation. And he was so good at it. And he he conned millions. I think I think it was seventeen million, maybe was the final count of sponsors. Barbara, there was nothing there, as you as you mentioned. I mean, and he conned. I mean, celebrities were supporting him. I mean, there were some rappers that were on yachts, and I mean. And, and really, you think about how did he do this? How, were people really in need of that transformation that signed up? I, I would think no, because I looked at some of their backgrounds. But really, it was just his charisma, his ability to really, you know, bring those people in. And those people 
are really, really dangerous because they just have the that that magic you call it, which which is the con artist of it's like the the George Parker of eighteen eighty three. He's still he's the he's the new version of George Parker. Wow. You mentioned earlier a class, an online class you have for travel security, and I. Th- can you talk about your classes and how I can find them and how I can Absolutely, use them? Absolutely, Barbara. And, yeah, and I think this is one of the things where I, you know, I feel that this, I love to to support those small businesses, the solo entrepreneurs, and this is where I kind of, you know, developed the the Doctor Fraud Training Group platform because all this content, you know, is in my mind, and it's like I want to just help people be safe, and I I love when I get emails back saying, hey look what I found in my email today. And it's a scam. You know, hey, I, I almost engaged in this, but I didn't. Or, you know, getting a call from a small business saying, you know, wow, I think I got scammed, you know, a million and a half. I had an employee do something. I mean, this is what just keeps me up at night. So I think, you know, that's where the doctor fraud training group platform came about. Uh, so what I did was I kind of just slowly as I went around, I was went through my past two years, like every day I would think, okay, what can I help people with today? So I focused on different segments. You know, uh, travel fraud is one. Phishing scams is another. Uh, psychology of fraud. Um, you know, so it focuses on the human based uh, and also the technology based. So it really does get in the weeds on some of it. Um, but others is is just the human based things that you know really can help lower people's threat level. Don't waste calories on this. You know, the content's there. Just just you know get the get the education. Um, you know, worry about the fun stuff, you know, business development and, and growing your business. I mean, that's what, you know, all of us out there should be doing, you know, and also from a customer perspective, you know, we don't want our customers to feel like they're at risk doing business with us. So the fact that, hey, if we are a little educated, if we have enough to make ourselves dangerous, you know, put that club out on your car, <laughs> you know, send them somewhere else. This is what's important. So that's kind of where, you know, I wanted to give back to all of the, the businesses out there. Um, with, with things that I know, uh, but I can't, you know, I don't have enough platforms to just keep talking about them, uh, you know, in media or whatever else I'm doing. It, it's, you know, I want to get something robust, you know, for for the consumers out there. So they can find that through Dr. Fraud Training Group, which is uh, www.drfraud.org. And right to my website, the platform is there uh, and that'll get them right to the, the training group. And it's fully online? Go at your own pace? Or do is this, is it a drip or is it you know, once I buy, I'm in and get to take the class. Yep. And, and so Barbara, you know, it's, it's designed really for the professional, you know, that just, you know, can't be in front of a computer for an hour at, at a clip. I mean, it's 100% online, self-paced, you sign up for the course and you take it as you take it. You could be on a subway, grab a couple minutes. You could be in an Uber, on a, you know, running to a, boarding a plane. I mean, whatever you're doing. Um, so you can take it, you know, at your pace and it will pick up you know, right where you left off. So it's it's self-paced, fully online. You know, it's made for the busy people, which is all of us in the world. So it can be taken, you know, at any at any point in time in a, in a busy schedule. I can't thank you enough. I feel much safer and therefore much more secure since we spoke today. Thank you so much for joining me and Michael for this episode of Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in learning how to become more secure on camera, hop on over to my website, ableintermedia.com and download your own free copy of 12 Tips for Success on Camera. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you always know when new episodes are available.